Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us. Maybe you're on one of the 42 radio stations around the country. Maybe you're watching us on YouTube. Maybe you're listening to us in your car on iTunes or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Thanks for being with us. Well, we have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about the industrial real estate market. The industrial market has been very exciting. Investors have shown a lot of interest in the space. Uh, users are having some challenges finding space. We're seeing rates increase. Uh, it's a great market. So let's see where we are in the marketplace and let's see where we're headed and what are some of the trends uh, in the industrial space and in that sector and what are some things that could impact it moving forward. Please welcome my first guest. It's Ryan Severino. Ryan is a senior economist with Reese. Uh, Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Hello, Michael. Thanks for having me back on. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, we appreciate you calling in from New York. The weather there uh, good today? Yeah, it's actually pretty nice. Uh, I'll take 70s in November anytime I can get it, although I know that is a, uh, that's an ephemeral thing. I know it won't persist, so I'm trying to enjoy it as best I can while it lasts. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, next week, uh, I'm going to San Diego, and I'm going to be speaking there at the National Association of Realtors, and I'm going to speak to the group on the top 10 success strategies for commercial agents, so it should be nice in uh, San Diego. I bet. That'll be fun. Well, let's talk about the industrial sector, Ryan. Uh, how has it performed uh, year-to-date so far? What do you see? Uh, I'd say year-to-date, the performance in the sector has been solid. Overall, we're still seeing vacancy rates decline, rents are going up, and even though construction is increasing as well, we still see demand outpacing new supply growth. So all of the major indicators are really trending in the right direction, and there's really a lot of strength across the industrial market these days and and that is really being supported by you know a, a little bit of inconsistent growth in the economy but but still growth in the economy better performance out of the u.s uh consumer and i think all of the underlying fundamentals uh are translating into really solid performance in the industrial market these days well, that's good news and maybe a good sign for the economy. So are the rental rate increases and occupancy increases you see today, I mean, how does that compare to, say, recent years or, or prior recession? Where are we? You know, it, it obviously differs by which subtype we're talking about, but I'd say both of the major subtypes are performing well. So mm -hmm. for warehouse distribution, vacancies down to about 10.7% about in the third quarter, which is a post-recession low. Uh, rent growth has slowed a little bit versus last year. We we you know had a little bit of uh, an acceleration in rent growth last year, but we're still growing, you know, at a, kind of a healthy one and a half two percent pace, so well in excess of inflation. Uh, for flex R and D, vacancy was was uh, you know, really continues to improve, down to about twelve percent during the third quarter. Uh, you know, similarly, we've seen a slight slowing in, in rent growth there. You know, kind of down at that one and a half percent range or so, but. But this really looks to be a transitory disruption and, and not anything permanent. I think, you know, there's been some fallout from, you know, what's gone on in the global economy and how that's impacted global supply chains and the like. But overall, you know, we still see strength across the board in industrial. So lots to like these days. And this 10.7% vacancy, how does that compare to, say, pre-recession days that maybe people would have considered normal? We're getting quickly back to normal. Uh, we're not quite as low as we were before the recession. Uh, I think before the recession, the market was pretty hot. We were looking at you know, single-digit vacancy rates, but we are going to get back to that relatively soon. So I think 
uh, if we're not in what most market participants would would you know consider to be a strong market environment, we are definitely in a healthy environment, heading for a strong environment in the near future. Okay, and you mentioned Flex has a little more vacancy. Uh, what are the variances in the ver- various property types inside of industrial today? You know, it, it, Flex is is the one that's that's you know kind of a little bit weaker than what we're seeing in warehouse distribution, but that that tends to be the the norm. It's kind of that quirky space, and some of the users are a little bit uh, off the wall. But I, you know, I think the overarching theme really is that across the board we're seeing improvement you know even uh in manufacturing which is not a huge part of the industrial market even there we've seen you know a little bit of onshoring activity returning and i'd say you know you do get a variation in performance based on the subtype but you know overall the high tide is really raising all the ships at this point so i think more than the variation across sectors i think the story is just that so many corners of the market are performing so well these days i like that analogy ship since we're talking about industrial that works doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of ships and ports uh, are there certain areas that are that are really hot you know there are and i think you know, some are located at the ports los angeles is performing well these days as it you know really has a tendency to do Miami, South Florida is performing well, but we've also seen performance from what I would consider to be other important distribution, I'll call them markets, you know, some of them are a little broader than just an individual, you know, metro per se, but if you look at Atlanta, there's been strength there, there's been strength in Houston, there's been strength in the kind of eastern Pennsylvania stress slash uh, central jersey market those are some of the stalwart distribution markets across the country, but then if you look at some of the smaller markets, they're also poised uh, to perform well, especially the ones that are really keyed into distribution. Places like Memphis and Kansas City uh, and Nashville are also doing well. So this is a pretty pervasive recovery. And, and you know, you always have this sort of have and have not distribution markets, but I think going back to the tide analogy, uh, it's not just subtypes, it's also across markets we are seeing the high tide raising uh, just about all the, ship, the ships at this juncture. And is it also the tide rising for all sizes of properties? Because I think some of our listeners may think of industrial as these huge buildings that, like Amazon uses, and some people may think of uh, the little industrial buildings they see in their neighborhood. You know, uh, for most of this recovery, I think that was, that was the story that was true. You really did have the larger properties leading the charge, especially the ones that cater to e-commerce tenants like Amazon, but that has started to change over the last 12 to 18 months. Now we're seeing even smaller properties are participating in this rally, you know, especially as the market tries to solve that, you know, the last mile problem. How do you get goods into the hands of of those inner inner city consumers in a timely manner, especially, you know, with e-commerce and all? I think there are opportunities in smaller buildings that are well positioned, and this wasn't the case you know, if we went back maybe 24 months ago, but that dynamic is starting to change as people realize that there are opportunities to get goods to consumers in, in places where it's hard to find good info locations, certainly uh, in places where you're not going to be able to shoehorn in a 1.2 million square foot distribution monster or something like right. that. Right, and that's good news. We're talking with Ryan Severino uh, with Reese about the industrial market. So, so Ryan, what do you think moving forward? Do you think uh, this great activity is going to continue with this great performance? I do. I think uh, for warehouse distribution, I'd expect to see vacancy to continue to fall. You know, we forecast out about a, uh, from where we are today, it's, it's closer to four-year forecast than five, but over the next four years or so, 
you probably another 50, 150 basis points, give or take, on the vacancy wow. side. I'd probably expect uh, rents to grow over that interval at a you know kind of two to three percent per annum pace, uh, getting stronger as vacancy falls over that forecast horizon. I'd say uh, for flex R and D, I'd expect to see vacancy fall another 200 basis points or so over the next four years, with rents uh, also kind of growing. Uh, maybe a little bit faster than on the warehouse distribution side, more in the two to three and a half percent range, but same kind of dynamic. The more you go into the future, the tighter vacancy gets. Obviously, it's a little easier for landlords to push uh, rent increases onto their tenants. So getting stronger toward the end of the forecast period than we see uh, toward the beginning of the forecast period. Well, that's good news for owners of industrial properties for sure. That uh, that sounds great. Well, how are new deliveries impacting it? You mentioned earlier that uh, there are some new supply being built. So where are we in new supply? Is that uh, part of the picture that's helping this performance? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because construction is definitely on an upswing. As I, I think you could imagine given the strength in the fundamentals that we've been seeing lately for warehouse distribution which is really the majority of of construction activity that that we're seeing these days you know we're looking at about oh i don't know 70 million square feet or so coming online this year which is a post-recession high and that that's a fairly normal healthy level i i would think it would abate a little bit over the next few years but remain at elevated levels which you know is indicative of a strong market i think the one thing about about industrial that that tends to not put people off but concern them a little bit is that obviously barriers to entry are relatively low in this space, so construction can ramp up quickly when the market senses that fundamentals are really improving like they are today. So, I, But that said, I think there's so much demand out there that even with construction increasing, we expect to see vacancy rates continuing to decline over the, like I said, the next four to five years. So I, I would not be, uh, I wouldn't lose too much sleep over construction, at least uh, on, a, on a macro basis. Yeah, well, that's a good news, and it explains your uh, forecast for continued improvement in the space. Well, I want to ask you about the investment property, what you see there for cap rates, but we'll take a short break. We'll be right back with Ryan Severino with Reese. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about the industrial real estate market, looking at what's going to happen next, right? What's the forecast? We have Ryan Severino with us. He is with Reese. He's their senior economist. Glad to have him on the line here. And Ryan, it seems like the investment market for industrial properties has been really popular. People are really interested in the space. What are you seeing out there? Where's the volume of these types of properties and the, their sales? Yeah, I'd agree. I, we are, you know, since it's still a little early in the quarter, relatively speaking, we're kind of finalizing our data a bit, but I would wholeheartedly agree that demand is up, and not just for individual deals, but especially portfolio deals, if you can get your hands on one. And this is, boy, this is across the board. Domestic buyers, foreign buyers, everyone is on board if they can get the scale sufficient to meet their needs. And I think that's kind of the one downside to industrial that the buildings relatively speaking are inexpensive so it can be difficult to achieve scale in some respects but that said i'd say we expect volume to come in this year somewhere in probably the 25 to 30 billion dollar range 
which would exceed what we were seeing last year, which is kind of in the you know lower to mid twenty millions, and that would clearly be a post-recession high. And honestly, this just covers sort of individual arms-length transactions. It doesn't even cover portfolio sales. And if you add that in, you know, you're looking at billions more. So uh, I, I usually try not to be too hyperbolic about things, but boy, industrial is hot right now and in some respects in ways that uh, we've never seen before, especially when you think about foreign money that's been targeting industrial. That is a relatively new phenomenon that differs from uh, cycles past. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, it's not that sexy of a property type, right? Yeah. No, definitely not. Maybe uh, up there with self-storage, and I don't mean to, to disparage either property type, but, yeah. you know, it is probably one of the least sexy property types. It's not office, it's not retail, it's not hotel, but, you know, investors are not stupid. They they know good opportunities when they see them, and I would say in industrial these days, there's some pretty good opportunities out there. Yeah, well, it's a clean uh, purchase a lot of times. You know, you have strong tenants typically and long leases, and uh, so uh, I think there's reasons for the demand, and like you said in the previous segment, the, the outlook is strong. Well, what's this doing to cap rates? As you could imagine, they are going down. So nationally right now, you are looking at cap rates that are probably uh, nationally in the 6 to 7% range, depending upon you know, the quality of the deal, where it's located specifically. But the caveat to that, I would say, is you know, really good deals, You know, especially the ones where you can get some kind of scale, because it seems like it's almost the opposite of when you're buying a wholesale, because it's so hard to get your hands on deals of that magnitude. There's almost a premium as opposed to a discount that some investors are paying. Uh, it's a really pricey environment right now. Good deals I've seen going off in you know, sort of the 5 to 6% range, so at least 100 bips spread over where we're seeing national deals. And so if you're you know, in a key distribution market or you're a really high-quality property or you're one of those big sort of newfangled e-commerce distribution centers or you're some kind of portfolio transaction, there is a market premium in the marketplace right now. So very hot, strong demand. I'd say it's definitely becoming one of the, the hotter property types these days, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, I agree. I think we may see some really low cap rates on some of these properties that have strong tenants and, and newer buildings. So what do you expect for cap rates moving forward? You know, I would expect them to continue to head lower. We are seeing strong demand on the part of investors. You know, even even with construction increasing a little bit, I think the demand is strong enough that it will, uh, it will take that up. And I think uh, there's a lot of money that's still chasing real estate. And with Fundamentals, as we mentioned earlier, set to continue to improve in the sector. I really don't see any reason why uh, we should expect anything but sort of, you know, flat to slightly lower cap rates. I think it's uh, we are in a world that's that's chasing yield, that's chasing good deals, and I think industrial uh, offers a compelling investment thesis right now. And so I, I I would expect it to remain a strong capital markets environment for industrial for at least the next uh, two to three years or so. Two to three years. So what do you think the impact will be of rising interest rates uh, for cap rates on industrial properties? You know, interest rates usually portend better things for valuation and cap rates. And, and I think people are, the average person is always a little bit shocked to hear that. But what you find when you look at the data is that uh, cap rates and values tend to correlate better with market fundamentals and kind of the overall economy than the pure interest rate level. Because, you know, think about it, interest rates tend to rise when the economy is doing better. When right. the economy is doing better, fundamentals tend to be doing better. And, and any rational investor is going to pay more for a building with, you know, improving, you know, growing NOIs than one with flat to declining NOIs. And so, 
I, I think the key is the timing and the magnitude. And I mean, even uh, you know, this week, Chairperson Yellen, was, Chairwoman Yellen, was saying that uh, even when the Fed starts to raise rates, that they're going to be, you know, kind of slow pedestrian pace. That they're even not going to be um, too aggressive about it. And I think. That is a kind of environment where even as rates rise, it will still be a relatively favorable investment environment. And I, I tend to be the kind of person that looks at you know the hard facts and data. And when you look at it, you know, again, as long as they're not too aggressive about raising rates, I think given the compelling thesis and the improving fundamentals, you will continue to see uh, low cap rates and, and high prices for industrials. So I think uh, the investor community should kind of get used to that. It's, it's likely to stick around for at least the next few years. Well, that's a good point, uh, Ryan. I mean, almost almost a rise in interest rate would signal that, hey, you know what, that's good news. That means our economy is doing well. And you know, one of the questions I think my listeners have for you, Ryan, is the global economies and their impact on some of these industrial tenants and, and then on the, on the sector in general for investment. You know what's interesting about the global economy with, uh, you know, the dollar strengthening doesn't help exporting so much, but it, it does help, you know, bring in imports and keep imports cheap and competitive. And, and I think as anybody uh, who remotely pays attention to the data knows, we're still kind of a, you know, we're a net importing nation that a lot of the things that we buy come from, a lot of the consumer goods anyway, come from somewhere else in the world. And so with, uh, with the U.S. economy being relatively strong and economies around the world kind of faltering a little bit and the dollar getting stronger, it makes imports cheaper. Uh, all else being equal, you tend to see more demand from industrial space coming from imports than exports, with you know a few exceptions here and there, but but generally speaking, and so you know that tends to put uh, increased uh, demand and then absorption for space into the marketplace. So I, I'm not rooting against the global economy, and I'm not rooting against uh, other economies around the world, but uh, by and large, demand for industrial space is heavily predicated on what happens in the U.S. and despite you know, some, some bumps in the road here and there, uh, you know, the U.S. economy still fundamentally is performing well. And I think as long as that's true, we should expect to see the industrial sector performing well. You're right. And we're short on the break here. But I guess also if the economies around the world are some of them are having issues, then people want to invest in uh, U.S. real estate, don't they? Absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of people around the world will criticize the U.S., but with a lot of capital markets around the world underdeveloped, we remain the harbor in the tempest, whether you're talking about treasuries, whether you're talking about real estate or equities. A lot of people put their money in the U.S. because we have the largest, most transparent, and in many respects, best functioning financial markets, including commercial real estate. No matter who wins the election, right? (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I think politics aside, the U.S. economy is, you know, China in the near future will overtake the U.S. in size, but not in sophistication. It's going to take a while before China's economy uh, evolves to the level of the U.S. economy. So even when the U.S. economy slides into that second spot, it will still probably be the most advanced economy in the world for the foreseeable future. There's a lot of investment opportunity uh, in that kind of environment. I agree. Ryan, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure always. Thank you for having me back on, Michael. Well, thank you. That was Ryan Severino from Reese. Stay tuned. We'll have more on the industrial real estate market. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Realnex, providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost. Visit Realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. 
Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Today we're talking about industrial real estate. Now we've looked at what has happened in industrial real estate. Now let's look at what we're going to see moving forward. Please welcome my guests here, Amy Olson and Mitch Rochelle, both from PwC here in Studio One in Atlanta. Thanks for joining us. Love being here, Michael. We appreciate it. And we've had the pre-show hijinks. We've got that out of the way, right? <laughs> and we're periscoping. Pa periscoping as well. That's right. As we speak. Let's look at the continued demand. I mean, the demand for industrial space, Amy, has been, has been strong. It's been great. Do you expect to continue that type of demand moving forward? Uh, absolutely. What We just finished our Emerging Trends in Real Estate 2016 report, and as you may or may not know, I think you and Mitch talked about this earlier, industrial is the number one ranked property type looking forward for real estate prospects. So looking in at least the next 12 months, very, very strong. And from an investor perspective also, we expect to see from our PwC Real Estate Investor Survey, cap rates continuing to compress a little bit further and rental rates going up. And that's amazing. And uh, you know, what's driving all this demand for space? So a couple of things. The biggest, which is re retail. So it's funny that we're talking about the retail asset class on a show about industrial, right. but I think the two are interconnected. And what's really interesting about retail is the growth and trajectory of online retail is a hill that you probably couldn't ride your bike up. I mean, the trajectory is very high, double digit year after year of year growth, and that stuff has to get to people and the way from manufacture or when it gets off a boat somewhere in a port in America, somewhere between there and your house are multiple warehouses. And where those warehouses are have changed dramatically. That's the biggest demand driver in industrial. And are all the tenants driving demand from the, the very big box to, to the medium and the small users as well? I'd hate to say that the answer to the question is location on a real estate show because that just seems <laughs> incredibly trite. But it's really, just think about that supply chain mm -hmm. and think about where the stops are on the supply chain and that's gonna tell you who the tenants are yeah. and where those tenants are. Because the end consumer of that online purchase and we're right about to hit the holiday season and all the data from work that we've done at PwC around millennial shopping, it's an online story and how does that get to the end customer quickly? That's what's gonna drive demand for industrial. Okay, so a lot of the online sales is driven by the millennials? Um, there's a biggest wedge of the pie in online sales are millennials, but what's really interesting, and maybe this now I'm switching into an office show also, <laughs> is think about when millennials buy stuff online, where it gets delivered, because it's not their home. Now that's a fourth show, because we just talked about <laughs> housing, but yeah. um, it's not their home, it's their yeah. office. Yeah. So the warehouse that the stuff is in needs to be proximate to the place where the millennials work, not necessarily the place where they live. And then you have the industrial buildings that are need to be close to these large cities, right, for that, that last mile? For the last mile and for the traffic that, if that traffic gets in the way of that overnight delivery, that's a problem. And one of the things I think is real interesting about the forward look that, that you guys do is also kind of the investor sentiment and what they think about cap rates moving forward. And so investors, they're really bullish on industrial, aren't they? They are. If we yeah. want to put up one of the graphics, we've got um, mm -hmm. national warehouse trends. We're showing where cap rates have gone since 
2009, and you can see that they're back down to uh, 2008 levels, interestingly, and rent growth is back up to 2008 mm -hmm. levels. And our investors, as of our last quarterly report, looking forward, like I said, they, they expect some more compression in cap rates, and they do expect rents to go up a little more slowly, but still there's some movement there. And is some of that from a lack of new construction that, uh, you know, the new construction has been really tepid, hasn't it? Is it starting to pick back up? It definitely is picking up. And I think there are certain markets where some of the investors are a little bit cautious. But overall, it's so much more controlled than it was the last cycle that so far they're, they're pretty positive in their outlook. Now, you've just brought up what inquiring minds want to know. Uh, <laughs> what are the hot markets? You know, where should investors uh, be looking and developers, where are they interested moving forward? Well, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if we can put up the yeah, other they'll, they'll, they'll be up there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the other Except graphic. for the people in their cars. The cars. Driving. Yeah, the cars. Yeah. Uh, you'll have to wait till you get home and hit the link. Right. We did, um, in Emerging Trends, of course, you look at the top markets overall. But in our survey, we do an interesting analysis of transactions based on the amount of stock in a market. So mm -hmm. the amount of industrial stock in a market and the amount of that stock that's sold. Well, if we look at the top five markets in terms of that percent of stock and then overlay it with the top ET markets, you see Austin, Dallas, Nashville, and Atlanta right in the top five. So in terms of looking forward 12 months, those are some really good industrial markets. And Memphis, again, hate to say it too, location, location, location. Yeah. Memphis By the way, Michael, an, an Memphis is market. where Elvis is from. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so now I can do my Elvis, right? You can. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's amazing to know that uh, Atlanta is one of the top cities. That's great. We're right here in Atlanta. And mm -hmm. we've certainly seen more increased volume of interest from, from you know, investors who were maybe just in the core markets are now looking at markets like Atlanta. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the industrial market and including what's going to happen in the industrial real estate market. We might talk about houses, office, everything you else. Never know. Stay tuned. No we'll reckless. be right back. Would you like to shake hands with decision makers in your favorite commercial real estate sector? Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com for multifamily student and senior housing to net lease and healthcare conferences all over the country. Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about industrial real estate. We have Amy Olson and Mitch Rochelle with us here in Studio One. And I'd like to ask you guys about cap rates and, and where they've been uh, in industrial property you know, compared to other asset classes. It seems like industrial has gotten pretty popular. It has gotten very popular from an investor perspective, and the cap rates have trended um, similarly to other property types, but back in late 2012, the warehouse cap rates actually started to fall below CBD office and strip centers, and within about a year, they were well below that, and the trend has continued, and so now they're some of the lowest among the, the property groups. Right, I guess except multifamily, right? It's right, always... exactly. They can't get much lower than multifamily. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on, 3% cap rate? You know, you can get Makes lower total than that. sense, right? Right. But, but think about the fact that industrial is the least expensive asset class to build, mm -hmm. and it has a yield that's that low. It's one of the things that makes it really, really compelling to investors because the yield is predictable, albeit low on a risk-adjusted basis with some of its siblings and across other pieces of commercial real estate. But the entry price is relatively low, so it really made it interesting, and it's hard to get. I mean, mm -hmm. so there are barriers to entry in every facet of commercial real estate, but 
it's interesting that demand for the industrial asset class exceeds potentially the supply of new products. So that opens the door for construction and development with a low entry price. So it's really been an interesting, what I'll call virtuous cycle for industrial. Yeah, and it's a good, that's a good point. And also it's interesting that, you know, for the larger properties, you also have pretty big tenants. It's not like you have, you know, college students renting them or right. little right. small companies, right? right? You've got some major tenants. Sometimes you've got some yeah. single tenant net lease tenants with, with some strong credit mm -hmm. too. And that opens up the door to a different pool of capital that's interested in mm -hmm. single tenant credit lease uh, real estate on a long-term lease. It's a pretty interesting play. Yeah. Now, one of the things I think our listeners and viewers are always interested in about the cycle, right? You know, where are we in the cycle? What's going to happen? You know, and I know the cycle can differ for I, property. Wait, let me get my crystal ball. I know. That's what I get. The, the, crystal, the crystal show the ball is here. The show's crystal ball, right? Let's get it out. And of course, it's going to vary for property classes and locations. But basically, you know, where's industrial in the cycle? How long is this going to last? Well, we look at 55 markets um, across the U.S., and if you look at those markets together, in 2015 and 2016, the majority are in the expansion phase, followed by the recovery phase. But going forward to 2017 and 2018, you see more and more entering contraction, which means rental rate, rental growth is going to slow a little bit, vacancies you know, may go up a little bit, that kind of thing. But overall, for the next two years, things are looking very strong. Interesting. And despite the strong dollar, uh, you know, the foreign economies, how does how do those type of things impact industrial real estate? Look, if you want to talk about capital flows as it relates to industrial, the interesting thing is how industrial has been legitimized in the marketplace. I think it was deemed pre-financial crisis to be the least sexy of all real estate sub-asset classes. It didn't really have an industrial or an institutional following, so it really wasn't legitimized. If you look at the trajectory of cap rates, cap rate compression, and the amount of capital chasing it, all of a sudden it's been legitimized. So the biggest problem with downturns that we've seen in the last several is when the spigot for capital gets cut off, that's when real estate gets choked. But if the spigot's open for industrial because it's been, as I said, legitimized, it's going to be as durable as office may be in the eyes of investors. Yeah. And I guess there's a lot of foreign investors uh, interested in U.S. real estate, right? And so I guess industrials is strong there with the... They're as interested in industrial as they are in apartments. Yeah. And on a risk-adjusted basis, or on, on a price per pound slash risk-adjusted basis, mm -hmm. they're as interested in industrials as they are in apartments, and in some cases more. And, and Amy referenced in the previous segment, Emerging Trends of Real Estate. It's been the top pick of investors in our survey for several years now. Those investors include foreign investors. Okay. And I want you to look into your crystal ball once again <laughs> and tell us how all this or could impact uh, REITs and moving forward, industrial REITs. So I'll, I'll take it to save Amy from having to answer that one. Uh, so the specialized REITs, whether they be industrial or any other specialized REITs, really create an opportunity for the retail investor to access that sub-asset class. So to the extent institutional investors have figured out that industrial's hot and even though it's not sexy, it's still hot, the retail investors are going to follow suit. So it's going to move around with the vagaries of how REITs perform in the market, probably in parity with other REITs. Um, however, retail investors have figured out that it's, uh, it's a cool thing to invest in. And they like the sub-specialization because they get to 
allocate capital as they see fit in their own portfolio of real estate investment. So um, crowdfunding, I don't know if it's a question in your next segment. If it is, just kick me under the table and I'll answer it then. But <laughs> crowdfunding is finding its way into industrial as well. Is Same really? thing. It, retail investors from around the world want to play in real estate. Well, as I said earlier, if it's got the lowest entry point of anything in real estate, then it makes it even more appealing for crowdfunding. Well, it'd be interesting to see because it seems like crowdfunding is, funding is a little slow to get off the ground. It's not really being used as much as you would think yet. And you think of uh, industrial real estate, like you said, it's not sexy. You know, you look at the brokers around our shop, the industrial brokers are one with the dirty shoes, right? <laughs> but uh, it is a safe uh, vehicle for investors, isn't it? Whether it's crowdfunding or through a REIT. And the long-term credit lease aspect of it makes it very interesting, potentially from a crowdfunding perspective, because it's easier to underwrite that credit risk mm -hmm. as opposed to a multi-tenant property, even a, a, an apartment building, which is the ultimate multi-tenant property. Yeah. Well, we have to take a short break. When we get back, I want to get your thoughts on if you were going to invest $5 million, $10 million, or a million dollars, let's say, dollars. <laughs> $1 million, um, where would you go? Where are the opportunities in industrial real estate? If, if everybody's looking at, the, at that asset class, you know, where are some opportunities geographically, size, property types? So stay with us. We'll have that for you next. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about industrial real estate. We have Amy Olson and Mitch Rochelle with us here in Studio One in Atlanta. And um, one of the things that we talked about before the break is, you know, where are the opportunities for investors or, or developers uh, in the industrial real estate market right now? One thing that we really haven't touched on um, is flex space. And flex space, we talked about in some of the graphics that show the cap rates for warehouse space, but flex space is actually tracking pretty closely in terms of the recovery or the improvement in cap rates. And one of the things that drives demand for flex space, as Mitch always likes to point out, is the home building market. And the home building market and that market is starting to come back. So I think there might be some opportunities going forward in the flex space arena, obviously in, in warehouse with all the consumption of goods and that kind of thing too. But I think the flex space is something that it's such a smaller segment of the industrial market that maybe we, we overlook it a little bit. And that's a good idea because some of the flex space has not been doing that well, right? Correct. And what's interesting, I've talked about this on your show before, but almost five times more jobs have been created in this country by companies with 49 employees or less as opposed to companies with a thousand employees or more. Mm -hmm. So think about what flex space is. It's part mm -hmm. office, it's part warehouse, it can be little offices, it can be little businesses that are starting to create something, mm -hmm. whether it be technology, whether it be manufacturing, um, it could just be a people-driven business. Flex is perfect because the price of doing business in flex space is cheaper than it is in office, especially CBD office and even mm -hmm. suburban office. That's what makes it interesting as a play. If you believe that job growth is important to the future of real estate, which I think we all do, yeah. and you recognize that those are little companies that are creating the jobs, 
flex as someplace to think about. Good point. And while I have you here, I got to ask you about the impact of rising interest rates on cap rates. I think a lot of people are concerned that maybe these uh, artificially, some people say low interest rates are causing maybe people to pay too much for properties, concerned that cap rates are going to go up. What do you think moving forward? So a whole bunch of different random thoughts in no particular order. Number one, the sentiment around commercial real estate investment and the prospects for profitability are as strong as they've been in a long time, maybe as strong as they've been in the last 10 years. Ironically, the sentiment was exactly the same in 2006, <laughs> but the fundamentals are totally different than they are today, then, right? So they, we were building new commercial real estate at a rate about 3% of outstanding inventory at the time. We're doing it at around 1%, and that's national. There are markets that are creating no new supply. Um, demand is rising everywhere as the economy continues to slowly recover. So that demand is not satisfied by supply, so that's a good problem to have. Um, so that's the background. So could the commercial real estate market handle a 50 to 100 basis point rate increase? Absolutely, because we were doing more in commercial real estate development and investment when rates were 400 basis points higher than they are today. It's not artificial. The fundamentals are strong. The economic growth is there. The job growth is there. The retail sales are there. All of the metrics that are important for the real estate economy are actually there. It's just a matter of people looking at low rates and taking advantage of it. The one thing I'll leave you with is in, when we measure sentiment in emerging trends, we also measure the expectation of rate rises. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the real estate industry expects rates to rise and they feel strong about sentiment. So that tells you that they're not fearing interest rate hikes. I personally think that the industry could handle a 100 basis point rise in rates, if not 150, as long as it's gradual. If it happens overnight, shock to the system, but if it's gradual, which I suspect that that's the way the Fed's moving, the real estate industry can handle it. Yeah, well, that'd be interesting to see, especially with that, uh, you know, the cost of funds and what people can pay for things, and if it decreases some of the demand. Um, but like you said, even if we do, if it does cause a slight increase in cap rates, uh, we're also going to have NOI growth. And uh, well, that's all the time we have today. We appreciate you guys coming in and, and joining us here in Studio One. Thanks, Michael. Thank you so right. much. Thank you. And we'll periscope better next time, right? Yeah, we're learning how to periscope. <laughs> All right. And be sure and join us next week. We're going to have an update and an outlook for the REIT market. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Realnex, a comprehensive and powerful suite of commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit excelligent.com. That's X C E L I G E N T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit commercialsearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.